to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. We are back in Dublin. It feels like home and I think we're happy to be home after a very big week of Tilly's. Um, the, the dub really was like, remember us? We're still chaotic AF. And they ripped. it was just a real bananas round. It was pride round, which was awesome. It was genuinely the most colourful thing. We've got some theories on the pride round, which we will share very, very shortly. But before we crack into this episode, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. We're fielding a very small team today. I couldn't think of a word. Um, We're fielding a very (laughs) small team today. It is the tallest person on the pod, Samantha Lewis, and me, Marissa Ladenik, the pod's all-time record host appearance holder, which is a title I have made up (laughs) for myself. Um, But Sam, it's you and me. This is just scraping scraping bottom of the barrel for the It's you and me. I'm trying to like... Put some fi- this is you know how like sometimes albums are all killer no filler this is a bit of filler <laughs> just, a, just a little bit of filler in between the killer um but some of the killer will be the you love to see it because holy heck what a round for you love to see it so Sam please kick us off with and you know what we've got a couple so if you want to take more than one please feel free sure all right gosh um you love to see it first of all you love to see. Uh, Canberra United's third goal against the Western Sydney Wanderers. Like, first of all, Canberra United loved what you did during Pride Round. We're going to talk about that in a second. That was fabulous. Uh, second part of that is I love that Sasha Grove was the one who scored this goal, her debut A-League women's goal. She's been a pretty good player for Canberra um, this season. She's sort of been thrown into the deep end. But the thing that I love to see most was the build-up. It was so – it was – proper like one touch just simple like mathematical football it was it was all of those kinds of like golden ratio purity like concepts that you learned in high school and then buried deep inside of you because you never use them ever again and you just bring them out for podcast episodes where you try and sound smart so it was an amazing goal it was one touch that just scythed absolutely through the entire Wanderers team um, Nikki Flannery tore down the right wing and clipped a lovely like through ball in behind the Wanderers sort of backtracking defenders and Sasha Grove was able to bundle it over the line for the third goal it was yeah it was stunning um, and a reminder as well that like Canberra are not to be written off either like we thought the Wanderers were sort of coming back into things but this round I mean maybe it was the it was the queer vibes and the magic of the rainbow numbers but they were just like no nah! This is our time, our game. And they absolutely, yeah, just destroyed it. So that was amazing. Um, And the other you love to see for me was uh, a a tiny little moment that went um, largely unremarked in Sydney FC's win over Wellington Phoenix. It was a little turn and shot um, from Rachel Lowe. Lowe hasn't really started that many games this season, but she was on the field against Wellington. Uh, she didn't score the, this particular chance, but she was in the box. She had a back towards goal and she, she she spun on, I don't know how she did it, but she like received the ball with her right. She spun infield, around it, um, like a Wellington defender who was like less than a metre away from her and let off a shot that Brie Edwards ultimately saved. Um, so it, it didn't make any kind of highlights reels, but it was it was just like a reminder that even the bench of Sydney FC is amazing. Uh, yeah, so that that was crazy. There were so many great moments though, Marissa. Like, what were yours? I was going to say, Rachel Lowe just 
really entered that game and was like, G'day chicks. Like she was yeah, right? phenomenal in that game. But um, you'll be shocked to learn what my, you love to see it from this week is. It's the Hannah Lowry Olympico. Another Olympico. Yeah, I personally stay winning. Don't worry about Perth glory. I, Marissa, <laughs> stay winning with all of these goddamn Olympicos. Um, from the exact same end and corner that Alex Chidiak scored hers at Macedonia Park against the Perth Glory. Um, sure but this was. time, Hannah Lowry and Perth Glory were just... Sync- this was a real standout game from Hannah Lowry. So I really hope she continues on with it. But really, the, the performance was capped off with this absolutely stunning Olympico. Bella Shuttleworth in the goal just could not do anything about it as a good Olympico kind of does to goalkeepers. So absolutely love to see yet another Olympico in this, the Olympico League. Um <laughs> but like you said, there were so many there were really good goal for like a good week for bangers rather. Catherine Zimmerman mm. Catherine Zimmerman's goal against Adelaide United. Absolutely incredible. I was trying to calculate how far out that was. And as everyone knows, math is not our collective strong suit. Um, but I'm like, it looked like two 18 yard boxes back. So I'm saying like, what, 36 odd yards. I don't know what that is in real people measurements, but it was really far out and it was absolutely sensational. And Carly Johnson, she hadn't scored before this weekend and then ended the round on two and her second one was really good looking. Um, So, yeah, lots of of really nice uh, things and stuff occurred in this past week of dub. Um, But we'll quickly go through the results of the round. So, like we've discussed, Canberra 3, Western Sydney 0. Perth also got the win over Brisbane, 2-0. Sydney were 1-0 victors over the Phoenix. Western United put six past the Jets, which is no bueno oh for the Jets. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. And then the only draw of the round was Melbourne Victory 2, Adelaide 2. That was the Pride Cup game. So I reckon that's where we start today's chat. We were both at the Pride game. Having sure a great were. time. You were in your rainbow kit. Um, yep. I was getting lambasted for my kit choices, but we won't go into that. Um, <laughs> but the obviously the spectacle of the day and everything that was kind of surrounding the matches were brilliant, and I'm pretty sure you can speak to that much better than I can. But the actual football on the park as well, it was good to see Adelaide kind of showing something which they just haven't Mm. done in a fair few weeks so how do you see this draw kind of playing out for both of these teams who does it benefit more yeah look it was interesting wasn't it and it was the first game that we've had to look at what Melbourne Victory are going to do without Alex Chudiak and uh, there were some choices that were made in there weren't there there were some real choices including Elise Kellon Knight uh, sometimes being used as an attacking midfielder and bombing forward, uh, and sometimes being caught as a like a like a striker. Like there were a couple of moments where she was jogging back in line with Adelaide's def- like centre backs, and I was like, "Is that? Hang on, is that at least? I mean, like all power to her if she's able to do it. But yeah, so it was it was very interesting. Um, I did think Adelaide um, they they were better. They sort of, and maybe it's because of the sort of the historical sort of rivalry between these two clubs. They did sort of show up a little bit more. I think 
against victory. Um, but one of the one of the sort of the big question marks for me, not just in this game, but for the really the whole season, is Chelsea Dorber. Like I know that she scored Adelaide's second goal, but she was really like you could see it in her body language, you could see it in her first touches, you could see it in her decision making. She's just not the same player who left Adelaide to go to Chicago last year. She seems to have come back a little bit broken and her confidence seems to be really shattered. I don't quite know what's happened. Um, she, yeah, it was it was just a very strange uh, kind of game from her. And it seemed to, particularly towards the back end of that, of that game and then the second half, it seemed to sort of leak out to a lot of the other players around it and they you know, particularly like players like Jenna McCormick, you know, you had a couple of players in there who just absorbed the, the, the bad juju, the bad vibes. And yeah, it was, it was odd. And they, and Adelaide similar to victory had some interesting um, positional changes as well. There were a couple of points at which, at which Isabel Hodgson typically left back was bombing forward as a winger and sometimes playing as a center forward as well. It's like are, are both of these teams just like, just, throw like it's scattering a whole bunch of cards and just seeing what lands like it, it doesn't really seem quite um uh, orchestrated or planned very much it's it's sort of just like a well a plans a b c and d haven't been working so let's just go to some other level letter of the alphabet and see if we can you know create something miraculous um I do ultimately think victory should have probably come away with all three points. They had far many more shots uh, than what Adelaide did. And, and the shots that they did create or the chances they created were much more convincing. Um, they were more organized. They had better build up play. Leah Privatelli was fantastic. Um, and so was Molina Reyes as well. It's really great to see Molina Reyes coming back into it. She obviously scored the opening goal as well. An absolute menace up front. Um, yeah, it was, yeah. The, so the, the, like the game itself was one thing, but, Let's be honest, we weren't there for the game entirely, were we? We were there for the occasion. We were there for the Pride round. Um, the the men's game kicked off earlier. They were the curtain raiser for the women's game. And uh, it was it was just so wonderful. I, I got there early uh, to go to Gosh's Paddock, which was the sort of the um, the big green space outside of Amy Park where they uh, the, the club had put up all these different marquees and all these tents and they had food trucks and they had dancers and they had music and all these activities going on. It was just so wonderful to see. And there were rainbow flags everywhere. There were pieces of cardboard with rainbow saying goal on it. They were selling pride jerseys and scarves and hats and pins. And it was just so nice. It was so, it was so inclusive. It was so joyful. And it was so great to see uh, how many kids were there as well. Because like when we think about the purpose of this and we, we take a sort of a big step back and we think about the legacy that a moment like this can have, Ultimately, social change happens in a generational sense. It's because one generation of people see what's been happening before them and they decide to change it. And they've, they've been raised in a, a different kind of context with different kinds of messaging. And so having so many kids be exposed to um, to the, the joy of pride and to the inclusion and the, and the safety and the um, and the visibility of, of queer people, I think is so, so important. Um, recently been reading a really interesting um, memoir called All About Eve, which is written by uh, a, a trans person, a, a, a historian down at the University of Melbourne um, named Eve Rees. And they talk about how in their earliest exposures to queer culture, one of the things that they noticed was that 
um, in a lot of films in the 90s and early 2000s, trans people were largely depicted in pop culture and, and literature as these deviant sort of monsters, as these things that you didn't want to be, these things that horrified you if you happened to come across one of them. Um, and so, like, this is why a, a moment like a Pride Round really matters. Like, the educate we've talked about it before. We talked about the education piece for the players and about the the, the purpose of um, trying to um, address specifically homophobic and transphobic abusive language and behaviours and all that sort of stuff. Um, but the bigger thing is just like it it normalises queer people. It normalises them in a space where they haven't been visible before and they haven't been accepted before. So even just having that and being part of that moment and walking around that stadium and seeing so many queer folks who are there wearing rainbow caps and, and shirts and, and just feeling like they're part of something, you know, finally, this is a thing that they, they, they have loved for a long time, but maybe they haven't really felt like loved them back. So being, yeah, being there for that was, was ultimately the, the best part of it, I reckon. I, I think so too and just like it's a real I think we've given them plenty of kudos but to the leagues to Victory and Adelaide who have really championed this through this specific fixture and making sure that it yeah. was a men's and women's fixture um, they all they went out Victory had obviously their pride kit Adelaide had the numbers again in the rainbow colorway like just everything was really pleasant and it was funny today um Obviously, there was a little bit of news that happened with the Matildas. I was down at the press conference. The Victorian Minister for Sport was asked about the weekend and he was like, I thought it was great. And the thing that he pointed out was that, you know, at Gosh's Paddock, it was a lot of families there enjoying the day out. And like you were saying about generational change, if these kids have gone to watch their favourite team, got to experience a really fun day out and all of a sudden that seed has been planted like this is normal you know yeah. maybe one of them finds out that they are part of the queer community and all of a sudden they feel okay because they know that there's still an outlet for them to be who they are through sport or you know I'm imagining if one of their friends came out to them they're like well I know about this stuff and it's cool with yeah. me like it's just all these tiny little things um that you know we talk about sport as like the power of sport for social change like this this was it this was it at its best um yeah so it was just a really it was a beautiful day it was so like got to meet so many people from twitter who were there rocking out in their best kits as well yeah um it was just a really nice day i'm sad that not as many people stuck around for the dub but what else is new um yeah Double headers are bad. Um, but j just returning quickly to the football, because like I said, it was a really interesting game, the the women's one. Melina is. So that was her sixth goal in six games this season. So she has not mm. played a lot, but when she does, she still finds the back of the she net. She sure does. And That's it's it. like, yeah. if only her hamstrings would stop betraying her like this. Um, You'd have to wonder what would what the golden boot race would look like, right? If Melina Ayres' hamstrings decided to actually be nice to her for a change, honestly, like she'd I, probably be up I there would... with Hannah Kane with a goal return like ratio of that. I a hundred percent agree, and that's why she was my preseason choice for golden boot. So I'm, you know, her hamstrings plotted against me and her specifically is what um, <laughs> I'm claiming, but. Yeah, there were some some weird choices as well as 
you said, but it was a yeah, it was just a weird game. I but my question that I wrote in the rundown with this one was that like, um, as I mentioned at the start, it was the only draw for the round, and um, you know, victory are in finals contention. Adelaide not so much. Does this draw is it is it is this draw a bit of a fumble from victory? Like, have they dropped points they can't afford to? Yeah, I. I think so. I think so. And when you look at the run that Victory have in the last couple rounds of the season, this really was the one that they sort of needed to win. I mean, they've got two really big games coming up against Melbourne City and then against Canberra, who we're going to talk about in a second. Then they've got a Brisbane who could potentially throw a spanner in things. They've got a Wellington who they're expected to defeat in the last round of the season as well. But considering the permutations of the teams around them and the momentum of the teams around them, like this could be one of those moments like we had a couple of seasons ago where it was literally a single win that uh, decided whether one team made the top four and one team didn't. Um, So, yeah, I think they will be disappointed in this, especially given like how poor Adelaide have been all season. Like it probably felt like quite a, a, a straightforward thing that they needed to do. But again, they had to do it without ultimately Melbourne Victory's best player, who was Alex Chidiak. And that's a that's a hole that they really need to fill because they they did lack a little bit of creativity, I thought, um, without Chids on the field. And having to shuffle a bunch of players around in order to fill that hole, I feel like it didn't quite work out for them, but it is still the first round of trying to figure that out. So let's see how they go in the next two weeks. I stand by my call that Paige Zoyce should be part of that conversation. I did find it very yeah. interesting that it was very, well, I suppose we know KK is a six, we know Amy Jackson is a six, and it didn't feel like the kind of game that needed, you know, two sixes. But yeah. Um, yeah, we started talking about it. It was a big round for the teams, not inside the top four, but those ones lurking in the shadows, just waiting for someone in the top four to kind of fall down and quickly scurry and take their spot. So we need to talk about the wins to Canberra and to Perth because they were, Mm. for starters, comprehensive, resounding victories um, against teams that have also kind of been lumped in with them in that conversation about the the best of the rest, if you can call it that. Yeah. so we had, yeah, Canberra defeating the Wanderers 3-0. Michelle Heyman opening the scoring in Pride Round. I As- mean, it's it's written in the stars. Like, it, it's just, yeah. The big Iconic. rainbow in the sky, that's what the big rainbow in the sky wanted <laughs> and that's what the big rainbow in the sky got. Um, it just It made sense, you know. It was like, of course this has happened. And to be fair, that like both of her goals were like identical for starters. Um, yeah. And just so well taken, real classic, pure Michelle Heyman. Um, so their 3-0 win over the Wanderers was huge. And Perth, we've kind of spoken a little bit about this seeming resurgence of Perth uh, in this back end of the season. It was really important mm. that they got this win over Brisbane because I still don't know how to talk about Brisbane, to be honest with you, but it's much easier yeah. to talk about Perth because they're really showing the goods. So who would you like to talk about first, Canberra or Perth? Yeah, let's go with Canberra um, because Michelle Heyman uh, sort of links nicely to what we were just talking about in terms of the golden boot race because Michelle Heyman is now part of this conversation. She's now sitting on nine goals after the two that she scored against the Wanderers. Um, she's only, I think, what, two or three off Hannah Keane at the moment. So that could be a real 
uh, race to the finish line in the last, what, four rounds, four, four or five rounds we've got in this season. Um, yeah, so it, uh, it was it was a really great game from Canberra. It was, a, it was the kind of game that I think we um, had been waiting for um, from them and a, a good continuation of the of the form that they found against Sydney as well. That win over that two one win over Sydney um, in in February. So yeah, it was it was it was great. I don't quite know what happened with the Wanderers. They were they were not as bad as what this scoreline suggests. Um, they're I mean, old mate Mister Crossbar came to the aid of the Wanderers in a lot of ways. Um, there was a I think a two or three shots that could have like a cup one inch uh, lower and they would have looped in over the net. Um, which is a bit of a shame, but yeah, like, I think it was just a great game. And th- I think the first goal for Canberra, which kind of came back off the back of like a, some uh, some poor decision making from the Wanderers, really, and Michelle Heyman kind of just pounced on it early. That probably took the took the wind out of them a little bit, um, and they really struggled to get back into it. Just one of those like shithousery, chancery goals that someone just happens to be there at the right time and just happens to you know. Similar to a second goal, really, just sort of it scuttled in under the the gloves of the goalkeeper. Um, but by that point, it was pretty, yeah. So you know, sometimes that's just not your day, and this just felt like maybe it wasn't it wasn't the Wanderers' day, um, despite the fact that they did create some really good chances. So yeah, I don't know. I feel like this is um, probably it's not the be all and end all necessarily for Western Sydney. I think they're still probably in the conversation in terms of the next couple of rounds. They've got who like Perth Glory. They have to play Canberra again as well. That might be an interesting thing. Uh, and then Brisbane and then, yeah, like the, I think their final round comes against Western. So, you know, they could they could do something there as well, but similarly so could Canberra. Their run into the finals is is going to be really, really interesting. It'll be a real test of whether they can go all the way. I mean, they, they play Adelaide next week, which is in itself going to be, you know, you, you start out by thinking, yeah, they, they should probably get get it done, but we've just seen what Adelaide did to Melbourne Victory, so who knows? Uh, and then they've got, a, yeah, that game against um, Western Sydney again, then they've got Victory, then they've got Western United, uh, and then they've got Melbourne City. So RIP in the last three games of the season. If they're able to get anything out of those, that'll be really impressive. Um, but, yeah, it's I think it's just good to see them um, having overcome that sort of half first half season slump and the, the well, it wasn't even the first half of the season because they started the season quite well. But the, the mid-season hump, the hump day, basically, of their season, they, they've they've come off the other side and they're sort of flying at the moment. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's great. And Michelle Heyman is a legend, so I'm, I'm just really stoked for her. Michelle Heyman is a legend. We, we've gushed over Michelle. To be fair, we've gushed over Michelle Heyman for the entirety of this pod, like just the entire life of this podcast. So we absolutely do That's love true. to see Michelle Heyman doing things and doing well. Um you spoke about, about that third goal, which was so phenomenal. We don't need to go over it again, but it does Chef's raise so another good. mention. Um, is it a simple case almost for the Wanderers? It's real uh, no Bolden, no party. Like Sophie Harding was great. I feel like her growth into the second half of this season has been really impressive. She's becoming mm. more of an attacking outlet. We're hearing her name more and more in terms of chance creation and things like yeah. that. But uh, is it is it no Bolden, no party for the Wanderers? <laughs> I mean, I think the, the thing that Serena Bolden offered was that she she was a real target sort of. She was similar to Michelle Heyman, like she she was someone who did the classic striker role. She was someone who you knew was always going to be exactly where she needed to be. She was physical, she was fast, and she was able to combine with players around her. Um, and I don't really think it's a coincidence that Bolden coming along also was sort of the unleashing of of Sophie Harding either. I feel like the two of them combined really well together. 
Um, and that's maybe sort of the remnants of that. We did see Sophie Harding doing similar kinds of runs that she would do when a Bolden was sort of teeing her up there. Um, and yeah, and again, like Harding had two two shots come off the crossbar. Like it's not like she was bad. Um, and she's really, yeah, she sort of found, I think found a groove, um, which is something that she, she'd struggled to do. I mean, she showed it in glimpses when she was at Newcastle and she was just that absolutely whipper quick uh, winger who was able to get in behind defenders and, and rocket some shots off. But the thing that's always affected her is her accuracy. <laughs> she's never really like, she's always been able to like be one-on-one in front of a goalkeeper, but her shots have just like sailed into the sun. I don't really understand why. Um, so now she's getting a little bit more accurate, which is great. Um, but yeah, I mean, once Bolden comes back, it'll be really interesting to see how the Wanderers go, particularly given the matchups that I just mentioned earlier um, towards the back end of the season. A hundred percent. You mentioned the Jets, but we're not going to go there. We're going to stick with talking about Perth Glory, who have become the other team in this conversation. I feel like yeah. they'll be like um, really hoping for limited deja vu so they obviously ended last season really well got on a really good run of form they'll be hoping for that bit to be replicated but just with a little bit extra at the end that actually sees them make the finals yeah. um think like things seem to be just really coming together for Perth like I feel like all of their youngsters are really stepping up like I said Hannah Lowry had a really really good game um, which I feel like we say about her at least, you know, a handful of times a season, but I don't know if maybe this was the breakout game or if she's already had that and whatever it is, but thought she was phenomenal. Sakalis was phenomenal. I think it's really impressive as well that they've got, you know, like competition for goalkeeper spots, like everything just mm. looks good for Perth. So how are we feeling about their chances uh, for playing finals football this season? Look, I, I feel more confident about Perth making it to the top four than I do about Canberra. And that's partly to do, number one, with the teams that they have to face uh, towards the end of the season. And number two, I guess the the, the, the consistency that they've shown, weirdly. Um, like, they have been quite good this season. They just haven't necessarily been able to reflect that on the score sheet. And even sort of this game was a good illustration of that in a way because the two goals that they did score – were a bit chancy. You know, the first Hannah Lowry goal was a, a poor pass out from the from the back and she just chipped the goalkeeper. And the second one was an Olympico. You know, like those are not the kinds of goals that you score every day. Um, but it's also not a reflection of the way that Perth went about this game either. Like they were quite dominant. They outshot Brisbane by quite a bit, both in terms of overall shots and shots on target. They had more of the ball. They completed more passes. They had greater accuracy. Like everything about it, they were they were the dominant side. Um, Brisbane were good and there were a couple of big chances that were required so you know Morgan Aquino needed to do a couple of things um, but ultimately it, it did sort of feel like it was only a matter of time before Perth were able to get one up over them um, and I'm glad it came through Lowry because Lowry has she like we talked about a years ago remember what, like when she was sort of, sort of just emerging as this like tiny pale little uh, adorable thin midfielder who was sort of just like loping around like a, a lost little deer and like we knew what she was capable of we knew that she had young Matildas and junior Matildas caps we knew she had a fantastic left foot but the thing she was really lacking was physicality and also the engine to be a, a really a really like effective box-to-box midfielder and I feel like this has been the season where she's been able to add those elements to a game she clearly did a lot of work 
um, in pre-season in order to get much fitter than what she used to be. And she's much more muscly. I think she's much, um, she's far more capable of sort of not being bundled off the ball as often as she used to be. Um, and because of that, yeah, like she is, it's paying dividends. Um, and she's able to, her, her vision has always been really great, but now she's actually got the body to be able to get into the spaces that she knows she needs to be in in order to create chances. So yeah, she was fabulous. And Sakalas is, is in a similar vein. She's been a name that's been floated around for a long time, actually, when it comes to sort of the next gen of women footballers in Australia, but has never really had a consistent season where she's gone, number one, injury-free, and number two, sort of been able to string back-to-back performances together. And this for this Perth season for her, I think, has been that. Um, so, yeah, so I'm, I'm much more confident about Perth um, going forward. I think they'll probably, especially because they have uh, one or two more games in hand over Canberra, I think they will have um, – they're coming up against arguably weaker opponents, opponents who they should probably be able to get the job done over as opposed to what Canberra have got. Um, so I think by virtue of those two things, again, like group permutations or table permutations, by the end of things, I do – like there's only a couple of points that separating them on the ladder at the moment. I think they will eventually jump Canberra and, and hopefully – well, hopefully – I don't know if I hope for that, but potentially uh, causing some serious problems in the top four. It, I think the one thing we can say with certainty is that this race to finals is going to be absolutely phenomenal just because there are so many teams so tightly compressed with games in hand, with poor yeah. runs of form. All of these things are just kind of coalescing into fun times in the dub, um, which I think will be this week's pod title. <laughs> uh, but, like, yeah, Perth really really did well um and another win for the uh the rainbow numbers you have your theory about the rainbow numbers the rainbow numbers and the rainbow socks i'm going to give a particular Mm -hmm. shout out to perth glory for wearing not just the rainbow socks but the progress socks because they have the addition of the trans flag at the top of them i love them i actually have a pair of myself we were given them uh, for participating in the uh the world pride football tournament here in sydney which coincided with mardi gras um, and the socks are beautiful, so it's it's really really cool to see that Perth um, that Perth went as as out as they could, uh, given their slim resources. Given they were at a stadium which perhaps didn't have as much room or as um, as many um, kind of opportunities to do the kind of stuff that we saw Melbourne Victory do, for example, with stalls and activities and things beforehand. Um, but yeah, it was it was fab. It's again, it's just it's science now at this point. Like the Matildas showed that wearing rainbow numbers produces uh, fantastic performances on the fields and, you know, all that's happened so far is we've been proven right. So sorry, folks, it's just, this is just how it's going to be now. That's almost Daryl Braithwaite of you, but we won't go there. <laughs> I did also like, so as I was re-watching the highlights of the uh, Western United Newcastle Jets game, which is where we will go next, uh, the players were wearing pride scrunchies they were like rainbow scrunchies in their hair which I love because like I think we've established that like you just said not everyone could maybe do as much as they wanted to but they still were like well we've got to do something and the fact that you know it was able to manifest itself in different kind of ways I saw a couple of players had just like rainbow tape I think Sheridan Gallagher in my head just had like a rainbow tape around her wrist and it's like sometimes that's all you can do and it does count for something but loved the rainbow scrunchies for uh, Western United and the Jets 
don't think the Jets loved much else about the day. <laughs> it's, it started so well for them. They each got to walk out with a puppy. And it's like... They did. How, like, how could your afternoon get worse? Apparently, it, it just it could. Um, yeah. And Western United made sure of that. So, um, unsurprising in a way that... or more, It's a real positive sign for Western United that they were able to really put them to the sword. They had kind of all guns blazing. Carly Johnson, her first two goals of the season. So really positive signs for her and for Western's kind of more general attack. Like they've lost um, the likes of a Jess McDonald and whatnot, but they've still got plenty of attacking firepower. Yeah. And, you know, the fact that yeah. Hannah Keane was only one of the six goals, mm. that kind of is a, a very positive sign for them. But um, the other side of that coin is that, the Newcastle Jets conceded six. They've now conceded ten in two games. And mm. they have, by and away, the worst goals against column in the league this season with 41 yeah. goals 41 conceded. Goals. So let's oh talk a little God. bit about the Jets and how they are not having a, a good time this season. <laughs> Honestly, I reckon the puppies that they walked out with could have defended better than what players did against Western it was so bad and they and they the way that like there were so many ways in which they failed to defend as well they failed to defend in game on set pieces on corners on free kicks just it was just an absolute calamity and the, a lot of the goals that Western scored they weren't particularly like brilliant goals they were pretty simple training ground moves like the first goal in the sixth minute that John that was Carly Johnson's first goal was literally just a tap in inside the six yard box after Hannah Keane like def, like got past a player one-on-one -on -one and squared it and Carly Johnson was like she just stepped forward and none of the defenders followed her and she just tapped it in <laughs> And uh, similar to, to Hannah Keane's goal as well, which came off a free kick outside the box, it was a very clear training ground move. You saw the Newcastle Jets line their wall up in front of the front post. Hannah Keane was standing just outside of them, clearly positioning her body to receive like a clever little pass in behind, which is what happened. And then she scored the goal. And then they were all just like throwing their arms up in the air and turning around to each other like, what the hell was It's like... Gals, she was right there. You saw her. She was there. You just needed to put one player like one step closer to her and they probably would have taken a different kind of free kick. But they, you didn't and so they didn't and so they scored. Like, what? it's just, it's, it is it is a little bit baffling. As you say, Marissa, like 41 goals conceded in 14 games is amazing. I'm, I'm not too sure. I think you've got the stats, Marissa, about like the the overall uh, goals conceded, like history stats. I think they're coming up pretty close to the all-time record, which is pretty mm -hmm. concerning. It's not good reading for the Jets. So uh, as always, shout out to friend of the pod, Andy Howe, who just knows numbers and knows stuff and knows things. Yeah. And I hope to know as like half as many things as he does. Um, but in his... Uh, pre-season media guide that he puts out for both the men's and women's seasons before they kick off. Um, he's got a little summary of every season that's ever been played. Uh, so I was going and having a look at the final ladders for the regular seasons of each dub uh, campaign. And currently the um, 
the Jets have gone past the 2012-13 Adelaide United side, which conceded 40 goals in 12 games. Oh, boy. What was it, 12 games? I'm not sure. They conceded 40 goals, though, and 2012-13, there weren't a lot of dub games. So, you know, the ratio bad. Um, They are only one away from equaling the record of the 2014 Western Sydney Wanderers, who conceded 42 goals. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're not that far off equaling their own record, which was the (laughs) 2013-14 iteration of the Jets, who conceded 47 goals. And... The the thing so that funny. unfortunately really is the killer, like obviously none of those teams have particularly good seasons. I'm pretty sure they all finished last. Um, the thing with this Jets team, though, is that they are doing this in an extended season. So there's still mm. at least another five games of pain for yeah. them or something yeah. along those lines. So uh, it's, yes, uh, not looking good for the no. Jets. Um, obviously, you know, it wasn't helped by the red card to Emily Garnier. Was that, did you think that was hard? I, yeah, fair? it was deserved. No, I thought it was, it was fair enough. Um, mm. 18th minute. It was, it was a silly, like you're the, you're the last defender. You've got a, a forward who has been smarter than you and positioned herself such that she is through on goal. You can't push her in the back when you're the last defender. You can't do that. Mm. You know that you're smarter than that. Like, come on. It was a red card. Absolutely. It was deserved. Yeah. Is there anything the Jets can salvage from this season? I mean, technically they're not last. <laughs> Wellington is still baby. last at the Silver moment. Like, they're 10th t- of 11. Like they have won three games and somehow one of those wins came against Weston. Like it was just this incredible X-Files like Bermuda Triangle anomaly that the Jets managed to secure that win over them, um, whereas Wellington Phoenix have only won one of their games. So even if they do cop an historic number of conceded goals, they may not actually finish with the wooden spoon. So that's potentially something. That's a really good point. And it's like, talk about the um the improvement, I suppose, of the Phoenix. They've conceded 22, which is the equal third worst of this season. But when you yeah. think about they conceded 22 compared to 41. Yep. Yep. The uh the math it ain't looking good. Yeah. Um but yeah, like we said, there was it was a really fun weekend. The Sydney FC win over uh Wellington. I think we both said that like Sydney probably could have scored more but the Knicks also could have scored a couple so it almost balances out in the grand scheme of things um but do you want to talk about any of the games that are coming up this weekend because from memory you said there were some spicy or there was at least one that was like oh mama I'm looking forward to tuning into that one well it is going to be 1v2 Western v Sydney FC on the 5th of March Sunday 4 p.m. Uh, that'll be the that'll be the game, I reckon. That'll be not just the game of the round. It'll be the game probably of the season. It's going to be the game that probably decides the title, I'd say, um, considering how close the two teams are on the table um, and considering the results of, of the last time they played one another, both teams would have learned a lot from that. Um, they do have a couple of different players who have come in and out. Western obviously no longer have Jess McDonald nor Chloe Legazzo. Um, Sydney FC, you know, they're hitting a little bit better form now, like back in the, the uh, during that, that loss against Western, um, a, a number of their players, particularly Princess Benny, Courtney Vine, were basically nowhere 
but I think the two of them have really started to sort of come back into their their vibe a little bit. Um, so yeah, it's going to be an absolute ripper. I'm so so excited, and I guess the other the other game to probably keep an eye on um, is either Canberra against Adelaide because again, like we've mentioned earlier permutations in, ter- in terms of Canberra and Perth that could potentially be a big thing and similar Perth against Western Sydney on that Sunday as well um, but given what we were just speaking about uh, Newcastle Jets are going to be hosting Melbourne City um, so you know we could see the breaking of that uh, conceded goals record sooner than uh, than what we think. And this is a Melbourne City team that's had an extra week. They had the bye this weekend. So you can only imagine that, one, they're raring to go. Two, Holly McNamara is back to playing some level of football. She was taking part in those friendlies against the young Matildas during the international window, and she scored twice. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've spoken the last couple of weeks about how something kind of looks a little bit off with City. If they're getting McNamara back and... Cote Rojas back as well after the international mm-hmm. window. R.I.P. Yeah, that that noise was R.I.P. <laughs> to <laughs> the Jets. Um, g- good luck to them, as my grandfather would say. But um, let's quickly move on to a boot. <laughs> it's a little bit of deja vu because we are once again booting a federation. And yeah, and some, like, it's you know, yeah. French is spoken occasionally. I was going to say it's interesting things. that you said that you use the word déjà vu, which is a French term, uh, mm. because we are given a big old boot to France today. Uh, we're just sort of making our way around the world, aren't we? It's like a little tour of boots. <gasps> Uh, so for those who are not perennially online and don't have brainworms, um, what has happened is that uh, French captain Wendy Renard uh, last week stepped away from the national team because of ongoing tensions with the head coach Corinne Diacre uh, and also the, the French Football Federation more widely, which has uh, supported the coach over the last couple of years. Um, Renard was quickly followed by two of France's best attacking weapons, um, Kadaditu uh, Diani and Marie-Antoinette Cototo, PSG uh, strikers, um, all three of whom have basically said that they will not uh, return to national team duty until the situation with the head coach is resolved. So we've seen this before. Uh, We saw it with Spain. We've seen it with Argentina. We've saw it uh, not in terms of the head coach, but in terms of the federation with Canada. And this sort of is starting to feel like it's not just a one-off. It's starting to feel like maybe women footballers at this level are looking across at national teams uh, around the world and are experiencing some for the first time a real sense of solidarity and understanding that they deserve better. And they have always deserved better, but they have put up with so much shit um, for a bunch of different reasons. Um, but now they are realizing that ultimately they are the ones who have the power. And if the rumors are true from the last 24 hours, uh, that power is actually going to manifest in Diaco stepping down, um, followed very swiftly by the president of the French Football Federation, Nola Great, um, who said some pretty choice things about uh, French football legend Zinedine Zidane a couple of weeks ago. And the sport minister for France came out this week and basically said that he is deranged um, and that he is not well mentally. And so he should probably be stepping aside very quickly. 
So it's going to be, uh, yeah, a pretty interesting uh, July international window for the Tillies when it was announced today that Matildas are going to be playing France in their last World Cup warm-up before the tournament starts on the 20th of July. Uh, it's going to be a game in Melbourne. It's going to be a very interesting um uh, opportunity not just to see the team that France bring to the tournament, but also to see the way in which Australia stack up against a team like France. The last time they played them was in 2018. Um, it was a pretty comprehensive win to France from what I can remember. Eugenie Lissomere scored two fantastic goals. Um, she has not represented France uh, since 2021. Also because of issues with Diacre, um, Amandine Henri, um, Gaetantini, Sarah Bahadi, so many French players have been in tension with this head coach for the last couple of years. And look, for as someone who deeply believes in um, the centrality of players in the game and the rights of players as workers who deserve to be in workplaces um, that are supportive and that um, take their considerations seriously, I am thrilled to know that player power is basically pushing out uh, a a person who comes across as a bit of an egomaniac and someone who um, has not suffered any kind of consequences for the way in which she's treated uh, her her workers effectively. Um, So, yeah, it's a well overdue reckoning for France if it does happen. Hopefully it's not going to be the last time that this happens at a major federation. I think Spain need to do something very similar as well. Um, and yeah, more power to the players. So big old boot to to the French Football Federation and to Corinne Diaco for continuing down this road um, when you knew that it was probably going to end going off a cliff. Good riddance. I'm not laughing at the boot. I'm laughing at the choice of words. Um, <laughs> as, my, my first thought with the France situation was that how interesting it was that it was for women of colour who decided to take this stand as Mm. if they needed to bear the burden of any more kind of shit than they already Mm do as women of colour in France playing football. You know what I mean? Um, But it's, it's just a real, I think the, the particularly terrible thing about the Spanish situation and the French situation is that literally none of this is new. Like Mm. the, the, the kind of discontent that has existed both with Vilda and with Diacra is just like ages. It's been going on for literally. It's been an years. open secret. It's been an open secret in the women's football like national team community for Everyone literally years. Knows. And it's yeah. just it it sucks that players and so funnily enough, Elise Kellen Knight at the the game announcement today was asked about it as well, and she was like it sucks that these players have to sacrifice playing the sport they love, which they do in a limited, finite career because that's how it works. Mm. Um, And they have to waste, you know, their own valuable time of their career fighting for things that they shouldn't have to. Um, But it is, it's telling as well that basically seemingly federation or players rather and teams around the world have decided we're not we're just not doing it anymore we're not yeah we're not sitting around we're not we're not gonna take it all that kind of that's crap. it as canada's um, purple protest t-shirt said enough is enough enough, enough is, is a enough. fucking enough and yeah like you said i think there's something really um beautiful about the solidarity that has been across national teams because 
you know, you think about it, the US were obviously quite uh, strong in their support of Canada because the US had just, like, finished fighting their federation for equal pay after years of legal disputes. The Tillys wore purple wristbands in their final game at the Cup of Nations because the Matildas literally went on strike to fight their federation for better condition. Like, every team that has shown solidarity, it's because they have their own story of trying to fight for better. Um, so, yeah, I think you said it best. It's, you know, the players deserve better. It would be ideal if they didn't have to take the courses of action that they are having to to get these improvements. But um, ultimately, I think they will be reward. I always think of that Megan Rapino quote after the equal pay thing was... Um, done in the US and basically she was just like I always knew we were going to win I always thought we were going to win because how could we not like you know the history will look back on this moment and be like what do you mean they didn't want to pay them equally you know what I mean what do you mean they didn't want to treat the Olympic champions fairly what do you mean they didn't want to you know pay or look after the French players as well as they have been the men's one who have made two World Cup finals consecutively like it yeah. just blows my tiny mind. But, um, yeah, hopefully next week, not another federation to boot. I think it would be really nice if we got to boot something else. Because <laughs> uh, I'm... Um, Getting a bit bored. I feel like we're repeating like, ourselves. What, like, what other French-speaking nation can we boot for poor federation treatment of their players? I'm sure there's one out there, but <laughs> just treat your players better, honestly. Anyway, let's you know, do a bit of a, a 180 and talk about some more positive things. We'll finish with some how goods. So a how good, Samantha. I mean, I just wanted to to reiterate the Pride round. Um, you know, it's it's done now. Uh, all the Pride round games have been played, except for Wellington Phoenix, who are going to be waiting until their first, um, their first games back on home soil to do their own Pride activations. Um, and like... Like it, it went off without a hitch. It was, it was amazing from the games themselves to the various initiatives that the playing groups did to uh, the events that happened in and around the games. Like at the Victory Adelaide um, doubleheader, we had uh, Rainbow Smokies. We had um, like lots of banners. We had halftime uh, performances from singers and dancers. We had all the stuff in and around um, the game itself in terms of the activities. We had face paint. We had all these, uh, like, even just little things. I tweeted about this as well. When walking in and around the stadium, there were, you know, posters about, you know, if you observe discriminatory language or behaviour, here's a helpline that you can call. Or here are some very clearly marked gender-neutral bathrooms that you can use. You know, just, like, really easy things that, can be done in the world to make football a safer and more inclusive space. I think this was a real example of how easy it is. You know, it's not, the the, the sky hasn't fallen in. Um, it hasn't cost a, a massive amount of money. Uh, it's it's something that on the surface, it's, it's one little moment, it's one round. But as we mentioned at the top of the episode, it's going to have an impact that's probably going to be measurable because it's changed people's lives. It's going to change uh, the way that an entire generation thinks about the queer community. It's going to change the perspectives of all of these children, of all of these families who want to enter football and, but who have maybe 
never really thought until now that it was a place where they could be themselves. This is one of those moments, you know, this is, it's, it's pivotal. Um, and so to see the way that it's been done, to know all the education that went into it, all the work that went into it behind the scenes, to know that pretty much all the players, from what I understand, were on board with it once they understood the reason it was being done. And reading some of the the stories of the players as well, not just, you know, for example, Emma Checker's coming out story from Melbourne City was extraordinary. It was so moving. And to hear her say that had there not been this pride round, she maybe never would have spoken about that publicly before. Even for the players themselves, this is so impactful. Um, I remember there was another really great interview with Alex Wilkinson, the head, uh, the, the captain of Sydney FC's men's team, um, and the, the president of the PFA as well, the Players Association, he was asked um, at the end of last week about the impact that the education programs had had on particularly the male playing group. And he said, he like, he he, he conceded that, like, he realised even some of the things that he said in his dressing room sometimes, some of the language that he used, some of the banter that was normalised, he didn't quite appreciate that that actually potentially made people feel really uncomfortable. So the fact that the, the players themselves are much more conscious of uh, the queer community, not just in their own dressing rooms, but in general. Um, and they understand the, the role that small decisions like particular kinds of words in banter or um, the, the impact of wearing a, a, like a rainbow armband, those small gestures can make such a huge impact on people's lives. And yeah, so it's it's just, it was wonderful to be part of it. Um, hopefully I'll get to write something about it at some point as well, because it, it just, it means so much, you know, and it means so much now to to know that this this part of the, of the football space, this community of people who've always been here, we've always been here. It's just that you've never seen us. And now we actually get an opportunity to show you who we are and that we actually are just like all of you. That's, I think, the, the most special part of it. It really, really is. I will not add a single thing to that. I will instead go to my own how good because it was a big week for me maintaining my brand. We had an Olympico, you love to see it, and we have a dub centurion how good because <laughs> everything's coming up me basically. But it's a big congratulations to Larissa Crummer who became the latest dub centurion, played her 100th Ooh. game. Obviously not the result she was looking for, but we... Even with the extended season, it's just like how much time it has taken these players to get to 100 games. It's a mm. celebration. It's a milestone that's really, really worth achieving. Um, uh, not achieving, celebrating. Obviously, it's worth achieving. It's a milestone <laughs> that's worth celebrating because there's still very, very few players who have actually achieved it. So she becomes this season's third centurion. Uh, behind Princess Abini and Jenna McCormick. Uh, Elise Kellen Knight is not too far away from her hundo. So, mm. big, big, big one for me. The uh... Yeah, you specifically. <laughs> the Venn diagram of your interest is going to be a perfect circle. Not a big day for Elise, a big day for me personally. Um, <laughs> no, but honestly, so. Um, Unless a couple of other players come back from injury, that might be the last one for this season. But, um, you know, it's a massive congrats to Larissa Crummer on what is an absolutely phenomenal achievement. So a big how good for her. I think that's us done. 
otherwise. Sorry, I did have something I wanted to add to your how good. It was another boot, which was Josh Cavallo's Achilles tendon. What the, the, the fuck? Just the most, the most homophobic injury that I could possibly I think of. I <laughs> cannot believe the gayest tendon did the most homophobia. I I was so angry when I read that tweet. I was like, the week of Pride Round? Yeah. yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. Um, so it's a boot to Josh Cavallo's Achilles tendon. What the hell, man? Whose side are you on? Oh, but at least it did mean that Josh was able to do a lot more, like, sideline commentary. He was able to do a lot more media stuff. He was able mm. to be more visible in that kind of sense as opposed to just being a footballer, which, like, to be honest, he's a great footballer, but his his future path does not lie in football. It lies mm. in, in this space. It lies in the path that he's building for himself, being who he is and celebrating himself. So, yeah, maybe it's a maybe it's an important uh, fork in the road for old mate Josh. Mm. Maybe the Achilles has come at just the right time. Mm. No, I'm standing by it. It was homophobic. (laughs) I hear what you're saying. I'm just angry. Um, But no, that's us done for today. Obviously, we will see you all next week. As always, we are over on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app, as well as Spotify, Apple, Google, all of the usual pod spots. If you want to have a chat to us, we are at the Far Post Pod on all social media. We've dropped a couple more Tilly's takes there's stuff about the France game announcement there's lots of good things over there so join us over there but until next time bye